Thank you, friends, for staying with me on this journey. This is, this is going to be part four. This is the conclusion of this story. And I'm grateful for it, but I'm also incredibly, incredibly grateful to all of you for continuing to listen. You know, around the time that I was meeting my dad and eventually going to be meeting or seeing Morris for those three times, I was experiencing a lot of nightmares, very vivid dreams, almost like lucid dreams. It just felt like I had stepped into a time zone, into a body, into a scenario that was very nightmarish. It, it took me a few weeks, and I was working through this with Olga at the time, again, talking about Olga or Arsenuk, and she was a really wonderful, uh, profound healer and friend of mine. And some of these dreams, like I can still recall, and especially well, some of them, were they dreams? Were they nightmares? I guess I'm a little bit stuck with that because the ones that I had with Morris were very much nightmarish. That's really what they were. And I recall this one and so many decades ago now, and he was just this evil, vile monster in this dream and was attacking me at various ages of my life. There was a little girl that I saw that he was teasing and taunting and eagerly after, but in a very violent, malicious way, you know, and just this evil, swarmy, slimy, really pedophilia way. Um, very disgusting. And it scared me so much. I mean, that's why they call them nightmares, but it was really scaring me. And then at the teenage phase, you know, and then at the my 30s phase, and he was always just eyeing me with an evilness that I was always his victim, that no matter at what age, I was always going to be his victim. And I recall um, in that dream as well, how much I just, I needed to fight him. I needed to fight back. And it was strange because the environment was very haunting. It was, it was in this swamp-like area and and just darkness around, like just something so surreal. It's, it's, it's really hard to describe, even though I can vividly see it in my mind. And, and I knew, I knew I had to fight him. And that's what it was building up for, because I was trying to protect all these other versions of myself throughout various ages. And I couldn't, right? And so I knew, and I, I ended up having this samurai sword and I was climbing out of the swamp because there was this um, wooden pallet that was in there. And I climbed out and he stood on top, like he was kind of on land already. And I had my samurai sword, but I knew, I knew I wasn't ready to defeat him. I wasn't going to win this battle. And that was a terrifying dream, you know, just watching what he was doing to these various versions of me and taunting me and how he held them, how he stood behind them, which is me, right? Those them are me and, and feeling so powerless. I, I couldn't do anything was really how I felt. And even just watching it and feeling so disgusted and vile at this man you know, and I still remember those dreams. I still have nightmares and stuff. So that's why it was so synchronous to, I, I guess, see him 
those three times and not have a violent response in return because that that's not my way. So those nightmares were happening before I would finally meet him those three times. And after that, I didn't have those kind of nightmares anymore. It was actually, it was nice that that had stopped. It was like I was being forewarned. I was being forewarned, like almost premonition dreams in a way. And I'm just glad and grateful, thankful that that time is done. Now, if if all of you kind of remember when I was talking about in 2017, that that's where I would discover the actuality of the rapes. It wasn't just molestation, right? So once I found out about the rapes in the healing sessions and the memories that were coming through, it really shook me to my core at another deeper level. And it happened with uh, a partner I was dating at the time. And she was the first person to ever ask me, you know, have you ever been raped? And I was like, no, of course not, because I don't have the memories. I don't have any of that. And during this time, I decided to go into some more counseling. I needed something a little bit deeper. I've been dealing with the molestations, but something felt far more violent about rapes. And I didn't quite know how to express it, how to talk about it. So she had recommended to me at the time, CASA, which is Calgary Communities Against Sexual Abuse. So I did, I signed up to to go in and to speak with a counselor. And of course, the demand was quite high. I think I was put on a waiting list actually for a little bit. And so I started to work with a counselor because I thought maybe they could provide me more direct information in dealing with, you know, rape and sexual violence than what I was previously experiencing with other counselors and therapists, which is just my my mood swings, my uh, tendencies to feel angry and sad and so depressive and, but yet still not being diagnosed with any PTSD. So in talking with this, this young counselor, I noticed that a lot of the counselors at that time were young. And not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Because she was actually a very wonderful, lovely individual. And I think for me, one of the biggest, biggest holdups for me, and that was a big challenge is that I felt like I was teaching her more than what I was actually trying to receive from the program. Because at this point, now that it's 2017, I'd already done various forms of healing, right? I've done the traditional therapy and at that point, not not even psychology it was counseling and social work, working with my doctor. And of course, then I evolved into working with Olga and intuitive healing. And not just Olga, I had some other healers during that time as well. You know, people doing Reiki and looking into more of an esoteric type of healing. And that was profound for me. So when I got into CASA and I was working with her, it just didn't... Um, I didn't stay with the program very long, maybe just a few months, because I wasn't receiving what I needed out of it. I'm not saying that the sessions weren't beneficial, absolutely. But like she had told me as well that uh, she's like, oh, you've already had, you know, some experiences with therapy and healing and stuff. And I said, yes, I did, because a lot of their clientele were new victims, isn't that sad to say? I was an older victim, you know, and they're dealing with newer victims. So excuse the police sirens if you were hearing that in the background. So during this time, she said that there was actually a, um, a program within CASA called PACES. And PACES was this program 
of if I wanted to charge Maurice again, that they would be there to support me, guide me, give me advice. And if it went to court, they would actually be beside me at court as a support, right? So that I wouldn't be alone going through this journey. And I was just like, wow, because like I reported him back in 2005. I wasn't sure what I could do because now these new memories, of course, I was angry, very, very angry and didn't know what to do. So I wanted to get some more information. And so doing that, I had set up an appointment with this other person who was in that program. And on the day of, it was very interesting to me because I I went there and I'm in the elevator and I'm starting to feel emotional already. And I thought, oh, what is this? Where's this coming from? Because I'm not cluing in at this point that it's going to be about what we're going to talk about. I know what I'm going in to talk about. I'm just going in to get information. There's nothing to be upset about. There's nothing to start crying about. That's what I thought. So I was like, I'm starting to tear up and I hit the fourth floor and I get to the fourth floor and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is, this is intense, but you know, just try and be with it as much as I could. So they let me wait in the waiting room and you know, again, I'm starting to tear up and it's getting a little bit heavy. And I'm just like, holy cow. And at at that point, it was like, I'm having difficulty controlling these tears and these emotions that are coming up. And it scared me because, I mean, I'm in a public place right now. Um, Generally, I've only seen women in that place. I'm certain it is inclusive of all people, all people, all genders, all ethnicities. And I didn't want to you know, show someone who's going to be coming into the waiting room that I had been crying. So I'm trying to hold it back, you know, and I thought, okay, well, I can let this out maybe during the session, which I'm like, still at this point, clueless going into what is this really about? So my, um, the lady comes up to me and she gathers me and we go into this office and we're going to start, you know, talking. And as soon as I got into that office room, um, I just started bawling. In that room, I just started bawling and and, uh, and I couldn't control it. That was what really surprised me was that I couldn't control it and I felt I needed to control it. So what do I do? Well, first thing I do is I apologize. I'm apologizing for my tears that I don't quite understand why my tears are there and maybe this is impacting me more than I thought. Yeah, it's possible. So I'm apologizing for having a trauma response because I didn't realize it was a trauma response, but I'm obviously activated in something and I, I'm apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cause I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, right? It, if it's like my victimhood, I'm, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want you to be a part of it. This is just my stuff. And and I couldn't control it. And she was really sweet. And she just says, no worries. Like, please don't let it out. This is this is quite a process here. And I still kind of wasn't clicking in because, again, I'm just getting more information. Do I want to charge him? Do I not? You know, what is this process? What do they do for me? How can they help me? And all I could do was just cry literally for like the first five to 10 minutes. That was all I could do. I was just, I was just crying. And she just held the space for me. She held the space by just saying, it's okay. Would you like a Kleenex? Just come sit down. Yeah, hug that pillow if you need to. She said, it's normal. So she was validating, you know, my my reaction, which is technically my trauma response because I didn't know. And she was very sweet and kind about it. So that took, like I said, about 10 minutes. And my truth going into that session is I just really wanted to know not only just the process, but try to intuitively figure out, is this something I should do 
or not? Well, after 10 minutes, I think I really received my answer. And so that's what we were talking about right away is um, I'm just receiving my answer that, ah, wow, I am so uncomfortable. I felt just so afraid, so tight in my body. I'm just compressing myself as as everything that I can. Oh my gosh, everything just tight, 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 because that is what I do. It's what happens. And it's such a reaction that sometimes I don't even notice it. It feels just, it's so... A response. That's what I'm thinking of. It is such a response, a trauma response that I'm not aware when it's actually happening. And I certainly wasn't aware of it then. I'm becoming more aware of it now. And because of that, it was just like, I don't think I needed to have any more information, you know, which really at that point, I wasn't receiving lots. She just kind of said, so, you know, we give you a little bit of advice, a little bit of guidance. We're not lawyers. We're just there to support you during the process. And if you go through the trial, we are there with you so that I'm not alone in this, in this journey. And obviously, you know, with my reaction, it was really telling me, no, I can't handle going through that again, because, you know, as she said too, once you start to go through that, it can bring up more trauma. It can bring up memories. You could have more flashbacks, all of this stuff. And good gosh, I, I couldn't handle that. It's hard enough just living every day as I do, knowing that with the PTS symptoms and the physical symptoms and everything that I go through at that point, you know, how could I even consider um, trying to go through this process again and seeing him again? So it didn't take me long. I did want to give myself time to calm down. So I took a day or a day or two and, and then I called her back and I just said, no, I can't. I like, I, I just couldn't do it. And she said, that is a okay because it, they never want to force anyone to take legal actions if they are not ready to, if they don't want to or anything. And my truth was, is I felt like I couldn't, I didn't have it in me anymore. And then I felt bad. I mean, I felt bad in 2005 because I didn't press charges. Like I should have, maybe I could have prevented him from, uh, stop assaulting other children, you know, and how much of that is a responsibility that I feel that all victims feel you know, about putting an end to their abusers, you know, by taking legal action. And so once again, I was going through that guilt, you know, in 2017, what am I going to do? You know, is he still doing it? Because chances are, I mean, like when I was a little girl already at, you know, and it stopped at 10, who knows how many other children he had assaulted after that. Those are things I couldn't prevent, right? I couldn't prevent from the other people being assaulted that I knew. I couldn't stop that. So I I certainly felt a lot of guilt for a long time, you know, but I also needed to honor where I was and, and I've done everything that I could to my best ability. And I just needed to heal. I needed to keep healing and not having him play such an important factor in my life, which I had let done, right? I had, I just kept doing it. So that was my decision. And, you know, it's taken me a while to accept that. It's taken a few years, but that's just my truth. So there were some years in between, between, um, you know, 2017 and to 2021, you know, where I would sit with it. And I think only twice I was doing some research, right? Because I knew he worked at, uh, at this real estate 
um, agency. And, you know, I go up and look online and oh, his photo was there and it triggers me right away. And I feel disgusted and gross and angry. And, and then, you know, part of me had wondered if he was still alive or not until it was in, um, I think it was in 2021. It was, I think it was, yeah, in uh, probably the spring of 2021 that I had taken like a, a second look online. Is he still alive? You know, and then I see his obituary. There it is, Marie Schmidt, you know, his obituary. And he had passed in September of 2020. I was in a bit of shock when I saw that. It was just like, oh, he's dead. I didn't have a sense of relief at all. I wasn't cheering. I wasn't excited. I wasn't ecstatic. Yay, that bugger is dead. You know, thank God I'm free. This is done. It's over. Da, 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 da. I had zero of that. What really started to sit within me in my reaction to this, which was so surprising to me, was curiosity. I was so curious. After I read his obituary, I was like, are you for real? Like, is this actually what people think about him or what they've known of him? I'm like, really? Are you serious? And as I'm questioning this, it wasn't a question in anger. It wasn't a question in doubting or anything. Well, perhaps doubting because it, hence I was curious. And I just thought, wow, their perception of him is so vastly different from my own. So sitting in this curious state, all I could think about, and I kept kind of rereading this was like, did his family even have any kind of awareness of what he truly was, is a sexual predator, a child sexual predator. And I obviously, I mean, reading that, I, I guess they didn't, right? So sitting with curiosity, I actually wanted to reach out. I felt this huge urge in me to reach out to his family and to his kids because I wanted to know, did he ever do that to you? You know, what were your experiences? Do you know what he did to me? This is what this guy did, you know, and I wasn't the only one. I knew I wasn't the only one. So I really felt this strong pull to reach out to his family. And then I sat with that for a little while. Why do I want to reach out? Why am I curious? Why am I so curious? Because I wanted to know this other side of him. This other side that people are talking about, you know, this fisherman, this handyman, this, oh, this dad, this dad, that, and this real estate agent here, this is what he did when I was a kid. This is when he was an adult. This is where he transitioned into him. Like, like it's an entire life that I know nothing about, but yet it generated curiosity in me. And that pull was really strong to reach out, but I knew at this point, um, I was like, no, don't come from a place of reaction and response. And again, still so surprised by the curiosity. So I decided to wait a couple of days. And during those couple of days, I'm sitting and thinking to myself, like, if I reach out to his family, what is that going to do? Why would I reach out to his family? Because I think a part of me honestly still wanted some closure. And so that just built. And then I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be, you know, to 
to open up that wound because what if they don't have that experience with him? What if their experience with their father, their husband, friend, uh, coworker, et cetera, was actually really nice, was plentiful. You know, they, maybe he was a good fishing buddy to somebody. So hearing this news could cause a lot of disruption in their life because of course, now I'm thinking how other people would feel as opposed to really listening to how I feel about something. And, but I did take that into consideration. It's like opening up a whole can of worms. Maybe they'll call me out for, I don't know, slander or something like that. Like, how dare you discredit our father, husband, slash, whatever, you know, butthead. Um, You know, maybe they would get really upset at me for doing that. So I really was percolating over that for quite a number of days, actually. And then I'm, I'm so glad I didn't reach out. To them. Because the truth is, I didn't want to open up another can of worms. That That's not my jam. That's not what I want to do. And I don't want to hurt his family because I have no idea what their life is like. And I don't want to initiate something that I can't get out of, you know, to maybe try and find some closure. Because the closure is for me. It's not for him. And like a friend of mine was saying a little while ago, like, why do you still let him take up so much rental space in your head? Which is what I do, right? Because I'm considering other people. You know, like when um, doing this podcast, like doing this episodes, doing these episodes with about him, you know, I was very scared to do it because I didn't want to impact his family in any negative way at all. Yet it's not about them. This is this is my story. This is my journey, my experience with this man. That is that should be validation enough. But this is still trauma response saying, oh, I'm concerned for his family, for his for his wife and his children, and I don't want to disrupt that because they may be hurt. It has nothing to do with them at all. It is about me finding that closure. So I chose not to reach out, and I won't. I, I won't. That's not my place. That's not my business. And I want to close that door. And my truth is, friends, is that doing these four episodes was very challenging for me. It actually proved to be far more challenging than what I imagined. And it was difficult to write these episodes. It was difficult to talk about it because even as I was writing, especially part two, I had a major reaction. Like, And, and then I started writing about things that I didn't even think that I was going to be talking about, like what it's like being in an elevator. Like what about my memories? What about being a female and a victim all the time? And, and all those things that I never got to express, but yet I feel every single day. So, and I was like, I just have to go with this. So that's why I was writing. I was just like, I have to go with it. I just, okay, there it is. And you know, I've had moments of reaction. I've just, I've been having some flashbacks, nothing major. Um, I mean, really, how do you justify what is major, what isn't major, but it has been challenging. And my hope, my desire is that not only has this provided information for you, my friends, my listeners, but perhaps you're in a similar situation. Perhaps you're, you need some guidance here. I just know for me that I hope this brings that chapter closed and that that little journal, whatever part of my life is now closed, locked, keyed, sealed, and sent away into the universe. And that I am done with that aspect. I understand I'm still, I still have my PTS symptoms and everything and those things I'm working through, 
but without placing him so much in my mind and without still living a life in fear and to stop feeling haunted by him still. Because I've had many times where I still feel haunted, which is what I've just talked about. Do I do this podcast? Oh my God, fear of everything. And it's like, this is about me. This is about me trying to heal this and express this and also give voice to not only myself, but as a victim to say that is what this man, Maurice Schmidt, calling him out, did. And to do it to the best of my ability. And that's what I feel like I did. I I mean, I've mentioned his name, I think, in almost every episode now. Um, and the truth is, it's not because I want to harm and hurt his family or, or anything. But I deserve that voice. I deserve to say his name for what he had done. And so I have. And so thank you, friends. Thank you for listening to this series, whenever you listen to it, if you listen to it. I'm looking forward to moving on. There's other things I need to talk about that I feel like I still, you know, trauma still did uh, a number of things to me that are very important to me. And I feel like I want to express that. So I'm just concluding this series with gratitude for all of you, gratitude for my loved ones who have encouraged me and inspired me to do this. And also just give myself a little pat on the back right now, because it was a big thing to do and accomplish. So thank you, friends. And we'll talk to you next time.